0: So tonight's question was, Dear Sensei Tony, how do I live out of my true self? So we have two readings tonight. The first reading is by the great Alan Watts from his work Psychotherapy East and West. When a man no longer confuses himself with the definition of himself, that others have given him, he is at once universal and unique. He is universal by virtue of the inseparability of his life from the cosmos. He is unique in that he is just this organism and not any stereotype of role, class, or identity assumed for the convenience of social communication. Our companion reading is from uh, the great Buddhist teacher, Seke Harada. In our lifetime, there is only one person we must encounter, one person we must meet as though we were passionately in love. That person is the essential self, The true self. As long as you don't meet this true self, it will be impossible to find true satisfaction in your heart. So, the subject of the true self is a big one. And as I was preparing for this homily, I was telling my wife that this is something I would feel much more comfortable doing over a weekend retreat, at the very least. (laughs) Or if not a week. And because of the fact that it is is so central to the way that we understand our raison d'etre for being, you know, our reason for being. So I want to uh, go through this, and I want to be as clear as I can. So I think whenever we, we start to talk about something like the true self, we have to define our terms. So I think the best place to begin is by asking the question, who or what is the true self? So the true self in our definition, which is found in Freer Mind, Three Principles of Oneness, is both simple and complex. And I'm going to read some of these uh, from the book itself because I think that's important. Our true self describes a sense of self that's based on spontaneous, immediate, and authentic experience, and a feeling of being really alive. By contrast, the ego self is a facade created out of our defensive mechanisms, one which in extreme cases could leave us lacking spontaneity and feeling dead and empty. Behind a mere appearance of what seems real, but is not. The ego seeks to increase pleasure and decrease pain. But it doesn't realize that it is the source of that suffering itself. And the ego self is created by the experiences, the hurt child growing up. And it creates a situation whereby we live out of a sense of perpetual victimhood or we become monsters. In the four-direction system, we have various mindfulness models to help us clarify different terms and ideas. And what we call the true self-esteem model. We clarify that the metaphor of the true self and the ego self, these metaphors are a great way for us to begin to understand the nature of being. The true self for us represents the unconditioned. It represents that aspect of us that is deeply, deeply connected clear, calm, and creative. The ego self represents the conditioned sense of self. That part of us that was born as an infant will die some stage in the future. And that story that life is the life of the ego. As I mentioned in the previous talk, we might even say that is like our soul. And it's a part of us that seems to have a sense of continuity. If we don't have a head injury or some sort of disorder or disease, that sense of me carries on throughout my life from my earliest memories. Now, in Buddhist tradition, we understand that this sense of self is something that is accumulated over time, and that it is made of different layers that traditionally are called skandhas that it really just means that the human being is an aggregate of all these various conditions. What most people don't realize is that they have an inner orientation, and that inner orientation is something that we came into the world with. It is given to us, if you will, by the history of our evolution. And the history of that evolution has caused us to be a certain way. Not only in terms of the shape and form that we take, but in terms of how our brains are. This conditioning was born in the fires of the evolutionary process of natural selection, randomness, and adaptation. And its main goal was survival. And we see this in all creatures. Now, as humans evolved into beings that had large neocortex, we began to have a sense of self, a self-consciousness, that transcended, as far as we know, that of our animal cousins. And this sense of self-consciousness was both a a blessing and a curse. The blessing of, well, let me say the curse first. The curse of that was that we were left with these scars on our humanity of all this evolutionary adaption. And because our brains are much more sophisticated, we went from not just survival on a physical level, you know, having enough food, having enough drink, having shelter, having a way to be safe in a cave or what have you, then it became much more complex because as we developed this higher sense of self-consciousness, it then became the task of the ego to not just survive, but to question how it survives. So therefore it's not enough that I have food to eat, something to drink, Now it's important for me to drink certain things and not others to eat certain things and not others. It's not enough for me to have the safety of a warm cave. Now it's all about the size of my cave and where my cave is located. And so status has become a part of the survival mechanism in us. We self-conscious beings. And so we're driven by this. And this drive is something that we are unconscious of. And so in a sense, we are being manipulated by it. What's its goal? Well, evolutionary scientists believe that its goal is the transference of the genome. Richard Dawkins talks about this in his book, The Selfish G. But, along with that curse, if you will, because that's what causes all our anxiety, our sense of dread, our constant worrying about the future, our constant looking back on the past with guilt or shame or remorse or at the very least nostalgia. That's that part of our being, that, that is the, that's the source of all that suffering. And this orientation we have, and I always imagine everyone having like an inner compass, you know, so a compass points north to give you a sense of direction. Or like birds and some animals have this magnificent ability to line up with the magnetic poles so they have a sense of direction that's inherent. I think it's just like that for us in terms of our egos. We have been oriented towards the world of doing and having. As a way to try to achieve some sense of worth or value. Now the word for this is self-esteem. Which just means to estimate the self. But we have determined because of this conditioning. That our worthiness as human beings. Our very inherent value. Is determined by the world of doing and having what do I have? What have I done? What don't I have? What have I not done? Constantly judging us against some perfect standard that can never be achieved. And therein is our plight. Now the good news is, the good news of the Buddha is that that's not the whole picture. For if it were, well, the only The only line that would make any sense to me would be the line from Quiholith, the preacher, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow, brother, sister, we die. Or Shakespeare's famous passage, a tale told by an idiot, and the end signified nothing. Nihilism would be the, the, the rational choice if this all there was. But what the Buddha did, what the Buddha brought to the world was another vision, another view. A view that I believe is more complete. And for this, he posited the teaching of the true self. That in fact, the true self preceded all of this other history that we call the ego self. And that it is the true self that goes far beyond the limits of the ego self. And that as Harada sensei spoke, we have to meet this true self. We have to awaken to it. We have to have a sense of a personal connection to it. We have to make a personal decision to live out. And until we make that personal decision to live out of the true self, it's a great intellectual concept, but it's not causing any dynamic shift in our life. And the Buddha's conviction is, is, that we can awaken to this. We can know it intimately as the ground of our being, as the true source. When we look at the development of the ego self and the true self, we realize that this sense of the true self can become our new orientation. That we can awaken to this idea. And even if in the beginning, and I always say this to folks, even if in the beginning the idea of the true self is something that you can't totally buy into I tell you to test it, test living out of the true self, test living out of the idea that you have an unconditioned ground of being. Test living out of the idea that you have an inherent dignity and worth and value, regardless of what you can produce, regardless of what you haven't done, regardless of what you may have done, a true self which truly allows us to let go of the past and stop worrying about the future, the unconditioned. And as the Buddha said in a very early passage, no, my brothers and sisters, that if this unconditioned reality, which we call the true self, does not exist, then there would be no point to the teachings. So this is a really important practice. And as I say, it truly begins with understanding and awakening to what it is, knowing the practices that will help to cultivate that relationship and living out of a vow and commitment to that relationship. And that's what you see in our precepts that we take in our liturgy. So let me talk a little bit more about each of those areas because I think they're they're very important. So the first is to understand and know the qualities of the true self. So. Out of the three principles of oneness, we know that there are three qualities that emerge from this cosmic sense of self. And the first is that it is clear and calm. Because the question is, well, how do I know? You know, let's say that I make that commitment, right? Let's say I wake up to that, and I, t- I make that commitment, and I test it, and I find out that pragmatically, yeah, when I stop living out of the ego self as defining who I am, and I start living out of this idea of the true self, my life gets freer. I'm not so afraid of failing anymore because I know that my entire life is an experiment and each failure leads me further in the direction that I want to go. I'm no longer judging myself on that basis. So I'm free to make mistakes. So once we wake up to that, how do we know we're in there? I'm going to give you some practices to nurture and cultivate it at the end of the talk. But right now, I want you to kind of have some earmarks of how you know that you're coming from your true self. So the first thing about it is that when you're coming out of the true self, it's clear and calm. There is both clarity and there is calm. There's calm and clarity. Not not this, but this. And the calm is created out of a process of clarity and confirmation. So here's how you know. Here's some just earmarks. Number one, when you're coming from the true self, you are clear and certain about it. In other words there's not a lot of doubt or questioning in your mind or going back and forth over and over again you have a sense of destiny that you have created for yourself you have a sense of direction I often liken it to the idea of a star that I'm following and my ship at sea and I want to get to a certain destination I want to get to the island of my true country I want to realize that. And that star becomes the guide to me. Now, what happens when I can't see the sky? When it's covered by clouds or mists or storms? Or in the daylight? Well, that's when I have my tools that allow me to know where that orientation is. The sex that I know, I know how to set myself up so I keep in that direction. And that's the part that our practices play, that if we don't nurture these practices, then we're not going to know what our sense of direction is. But we have to commit and make a vow to live out of that. And once we create that commitment and that conviction, then we take steps to move forward towards it. And we know that ultimately it's not about achieving that goal, whatever that may be for me. Ultimately, it's about realizing my true self, living fully, loving freely, and giving completely. That is what will matter. When you're living out of the true self, you have an abiding sense of peacefulness. Which means that even during the different sways and vicissitudes of existence, you find that there is a steadiness, a groundedness that you have. In the midst of the storm, you're like at the eye. You're not so influenced by outside things. The countless outside influences that lead to confusion. When you're living from your true self, you stop. Focusing on negative thoughts, and you examine your beliefs to see if they measure up to reality. When you're living out of the true self, you are rationally realistic, you are freely optimistic, and you discern rather than judge. Now, there's a lot there, right? <laughs> I'll have to say that briefly. Rationally realistic which means you allow reason to guide you in a certain way, but then you realize that after a certain point, reason alone is not going to be enough. And reason dismissed from wisdom can lead you down some very dark paths. Just being logical and rational is not enough. At some point, it requires us to leap across the chasm of our doubt. And to realize that that distance is not as far as we thought. The true self is where we find that courage to do so. We're freely optimistic. We're not Pollyannish. We don't see the world through rose-colored lenses. However, we just recognize that the world is what it is. The labels we give it, the things that we say about it, That's not his true nature. It's what we've projected onto. And we realize that we have the choice. We get to choose whether we see the glass empty as half empty or half full. We know it's just a glass of water. We get to be freely optimistic and choose to see our lives however we wish. Why? Because we know that when we choose optimism over pessimism, we enjoy the triple L. Some of the worst aspects of the ego self are individuals that are constantly cynical, that are constantly telling you what you can't do, that are constantly out there to tear down. People that are not open to their true self, they're not creative. They're destructive. And they gain pleasure from destroying you. To try to trample on your dreams. To try to tear you down. They do that out of the shallow, fearful, huddled ego self. When you're living out of that true self, you have the courage to stand. You have the courage to move forward. And while it would be nice if everyone could like you and appreciate what you're doing, It doesn't matter to you. You know your path. And instead of judgment, which comes from the ego self, the ego self is constantly judging everything because it's so fearful and feels so inadequate that it has to inflate itself. The true self uses discernment. And the difference between judgment and discernment? Judgment is an opinion that's no longer open to new information. Judgment is an opinion that has been, has cut itself off from any further knowledge. Discernment, on the other hand, is an opinion that is always open to new understanding, always open to new knowledge. And when you're living out of the true self, you live out of discernment. The true self is intentional and stable. The everyday self constantly shifting back and forth, constantly questioning every action beforehand and even afterwards. The true self knows that intention is the only true power we have. And intention guides us. That's our ship. The true self is driven by a deep sense of wisdom. When we experience the true self, wisdom is is our succor. Wisdom is what draws us and we love wisdom and we love to immerse ourselves in wisdom. We become lovers of Sophia. The ego self on the other hand, is driven by the unending demands of I, me, mine, against you. The true self is at peace. The true self has nothing to accomplish to prove itself. The true self needs nothing to validate its existence but the ego self it's constantly agitated and it's very easily disturbed follow me so far? so that's calm and clear Another aspect of the true self is that it is creative. That we are co-creators with it. When we're being creative and we're living out of the true self, we personally and freely express ourselves. Like Bruce Lee once said, it's all about personal self-expression. Are you expressing yourself? Are you living out of your true self? Or are you living out of a self as Alan Watts said, has been defined by others. When you're living out of the true self, you don't end up only copying others, and you're not regimentally restricted by someone else's style. Rather, when you're living out of the true self, you learn all you can from what you discover and study, and realize his wisdom. And you learn from those teachers, and those teachers for a while can become a model for you. But you're not them and they're not you. Ultimately, you are not to become puppets or uh, mimeographs of the teacher, of the wise ones that inspire you and teach you. You are to find your own inner, true self, and live out of that expression. And when you study a style or a system, you learn the foundations. You know them. You're not some poser pretending. You know them and you learn them. And then, out of that experience, you learn to find your own style, your own sense of expression. When my son was studying, <clears throat> he wanted to learn the guitar. Of course, he wanted to play rock guitar and I don't blame him. But I felt that it was very important for him in order to become a great guitarist, that he studied classical guitar, that he understand the foundations, not so that he would become a classical guitarist, but so that he could understand the foundations and that he could learn so that he could develop his own style, his own expression, which he did. When you're living out of the creative aspect of the true self, there's a sense of spontaneity in you. The natural child within you. The part of you that has responded to the nurturing and wisdom of the true self. That natural part of you, I mean, it's the most natural scientific-like part of you. Buckminster Fuller once said that children are natural scientists because they're so curious about everything. And they really want to know. And they might not even believe you the first time you tell you that. They're going to question you. They're natural science. When we're living out of the true self, that part of us is the part of us that we experience. When it comes to living out of the true self, we're not so concerned with change and circumstances because we realize that Every change out of the second principle of oneness allows us a new opportunity to create something. And while the ego self abhors change and fears it, the true self embraces and feeds upon it. The true self is where we experience a sense of free will and whether you define that by kaku or Kierkegaard doesn't matter to me but it's a sense of free will and what does that mean We collapse the wave man we collapse the wave creativity is seeing something that doesn't already exist except maybe in your imagination when you create you take risks and you embrace new possibilities And free will is ultimately our ability to choose. It's the ability to think outside of ourselves. To gain a sense of contemplation, to observe ourselves. When we exercise this free will, we live out of our true self. We recognize that we can draw upon our voice. That we don't have to be an echo chamber of Everyone else's. And when we examine the choices we make, we establish our voice in relation to others out of that sense of freedom and personal expression where we live authentically with others. And we're true to ourselves, we can be false to no one. And natural selection and randomness they're a part of the creativity they're a part of the creativity so we might say that we could even still use the word luck if you will for randomness but that won't matter if we're not living out of our true self because whatever change occurs there we won't see the opportunity we won't be ready for When we're living out of the true self, we have a natural impulse towards action. And this action though, however, this sense of desire, if you will, is not the sense of desire where we believe that if we get that thing, then we can be happy. It's an easy and gentle preference where we know that having that thing is not the source. The source is within us. Finally, the wonder of it all, and this is something that I, I, I know that people have a hard time at first understanding, and maybe they can until they've actually experienced it for themselves. But the more you, will, you align with your true self, and this is something I have found over and over in my own life, the more you do that, the more that the universe seems to rush in and meet you where you are, or as Goethe once said, it allows you to open yourself to providence in ways you could not have imagined. That once you sense this sense of direction, once you commit to this, once you take that vow, providence comes to help you in ways you could not have imagined. I have seen that so many times in my life, yet it is so easy when things aren't going your way to forget that, and so you must Awaken yourself and you must see it and keep it in front of you so that during those times you don't forget. Because ultimately, if I can only be happy when things are going my way, then my spiritual path is worthless. It's an opiate. The third aspect of the true self, and how we know we're living out of it, is the sense of connectedness. When we're living out of our true self, we realize that our true identity is not this limited sense of self. It is the realization that we are the very oneness of the universe, speaking, dancing, singing. We are the voice of oneness. When we're living out of the connected sense of the true self, wisdom is born of knowledge and insight, and that knowledge and insight creates compassion born of the wisdom of our interdependent nature. So our compassion is not born out of some sense that we have to do this. We do it as a natural response. A natural embodiment of that wisdom, as we say in our language. When we're living under the true self, the thing that I think more than anything else that we express, experience, is love. Because I believe that love is the ultimate expression of this, this authentic and true self. And when we are authentically loving and engaging with others... When it's authentic, it always leads to a sense of moving beyond our boundaries and defenses. That's why we say it in the Bodhisattva's psalm, to love freely. We learn to love beyond the boundaries that have been established by the egoism. When we learn to love out of the true self, we realize the difference between a child's need and a a grown adult's need. Children need to be shown how to love. They need to be given love, shown it. But once we reach a certain level of maturity and clarity, we realize that all the love that we need comes from our true self. And then when we really are connected to it, we experience that love. We experience a buoyancy. Again, as Harada Sensei said, we fall in love. And then we know that when we want to have love in our life, all we have to do is share it. If I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling isolated, all I have to do Is reach out and give a smile to someone who needs it, to share companionship. We offer that freely and we will get all the love that we need. And our love will no longer be marked by grasping or trying to control. It'll be marked by a freedom, a joyous When we're living out of our true self, our values change. The true self isn't centered on the demands of the ego. We don't value things. Things are just tools or maybe parts of our self expression, but they don't define who we are. What we do admonish, living out of the true self is the values of love, truth, creativity, compassion, wisdom. Because when we're connected to that source, the very deepest level of our mind, there's no sense of separation anymore. And that sense of separation is what creates all the anxiety and insecurity. When we connect with our sense of true self, Our life becomes devoted to expanding our consciousness. Expanding our consciousness and growing from the inside. Now, those are the three ways. So, so we have clear and calm, creative and connected. Now, I just want to finish by giving you some of the practices. And this is very important because like I said, This is when you realize this, and you make this vow, and you make this commitment. This personal existential decision to take refuge in your true self. To let that be your source of orientation. Once you've decided to do that, then you must practice. And you must do these practices on a daily basis. Because the ego self has been nurtured by millions of years of evolution and all of your personal evolution that you experienced growing up. So it's so important to daily nurture this relationship to the true self. So here are the the big practices. One of the most important practices is what I call reorientation meditation. And that means you set up your centering space. Japanese is called a butsudan. And you have your centering object. A lot of times people will use different Buddha figures, as we do, but those don't represent people. Those represent your true self. Those are aspects of your true self. Every Buddha in this this figure, in this room, is an aspect of my true self. It's a reality that lives in and through me. And so reorienting meditation is very easy. I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is I take refuge in my true self, I light some incense and I bow, and maybe I just say the mantra. I take refuge in my true self for my sake and the sake of all beings. No matter how well today goes, no matter how badly it goes, that is the source of my clarity, my calm, my creativity, and my connection. And at the end of the day, I do the same thing before I go to sleep. That is my same prayer. That is my same practice. And that is an incredibly powerful practice. And until you try it, until you do it daily, you won't know it. And uh, as some people have said, you know, it takes anywhere from, I think, don't quote me on this, but something like it takes like 15 so many hours of doing something before it begins to become a habit. I can't remember the exact number, but what it's telling us is that it's repetition. And don't let your feelings guide you. Don't get up in the morning and say, well, you know, I'm kind of crappy about everything today, so I'm not going to take refuge. You don't trust your feelings anymore. You don't let your feelings guide you anymore. You let wisdom and clarity guide you. And you do the act as a commitment, as a vow. Every day when I wake up, I don't trust my feelings to let me know how I'm going to love my wife or my son or the people I care about. I vow every day to love them, regardless of how I feel. And if you want to have any kind of longevity in your relationships, that's going to be required. The other practice is the practice of mantra. A mantra is a wonderful practice. We chant here tonight in the liturgy. It's a beautiful practice. A mantra protects the mind. A mantra helps to clarify and create calm. I advocate the practice of mantra. You can say it to yourself. You can say it any time you want. You can say it when you're in the company of others. You can say it when you're alone. If you're upset, you can cry it. You can sob it. If you're angry, you can scream it. But trust me, if you keep saying that mantra, you will find it draws you back to your centered self, back to your true self. The other is the use of the practice of mala. Have a symbol. Take a symbol with you. I always have a symbol with me of my practice. I pick it up from my altar, and I begin my day. I end my day the same way. It helps. And you can use it, too, as another tool for concentration and meditation. I find that if I have a mala in my hand, I listen better. I listen connects me to my true self. We can practice abiding contemplation, which we'll do a little bit of here tonight, where I'm I'm just abiding in the embrace of my true self. I'm allowing my ego self to be cared for tenderly and with strength. And I imagine when I sit here, I am just in the embrace of my true self. And finally, we can do things like go out into the natural world. It's very important for us at times to move away from the world constructed from the ego. And go into the natural world, whether that's a walk in the woods, a walk by a river, whatever it may be. Maybe it's just staring at the sky for a while. Or maybe it's a photo. I've worked with guys in prisons that didn't have a lot of access to seeing the natural world. So they would would get a painting or a a picture or something they could look at. But allow yourself to be immersed in the natural world because the natural world will help connect you to your true self. And and probably most importantly, there is the practice of the four questions. That's something we practice in the four-direction system of mindfulness. Those four questions, are probably the most powerful practice you have. That when you get hooked and you find yourself living out of the ego self, that will return you true to your true self. I promise you that if you do the four questions and you follow the process, you will re-experience that connection to your true self, and the actions that flow out of it will be coming from the same. So those are the. Those are. In summary, those are the signposts when you know you're living out of your true self. Now, it's not meant there to judge, right? It's just a discernment. So when you find yourself living out of the ego self, stop, look, listen. Don't keep going. Practice those practices of reorientation, meditation, mantra, mala, abiding, nature, the four questions and you will find that life is better regardless of what's happening to you regardless of how shitty things may be regardless if it's your dying day you will find that there is an inner sense of peace and joy that surpasses all understanding but it requires that daily practice because experiencing your true self is like lightning striking and causing a large flame or fire. If you don't take that fire home and cultivate it in your space, your altar, then it just becomes a memory or a, an ember. It must be constantly nurtured.